Hear from the word of God from a selection of passages from Genesis chapters 26 through 28. You can follow along on the screen or in your own Bible. Chapter 26, starting with verse 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Beeri the Hittite, and also Bezamath, daughter of Elon the Hittite. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat, so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat, so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats, so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat, so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, But my brother Esau is a hairy man, while I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him, and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, My son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and she prepared some tasty food, just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with goat skins. Then she handed to her son, Jacob, the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, My father? Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau, he asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, my, my son, bring me some of your game to eat, so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him, and he ate, and he brought some wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. After Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. 
He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I'm your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he's taken advantage of me. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, Haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him lord over you, and have made all his relatives his servants, and have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him, Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword, and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke off your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban and Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from Hittites women like these, my life will not be worth living. Chapter 28. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Then he commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Padan Aram, to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there, from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful, and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way, and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. This is the word of God. Good morning, church. I'm Eric Weiner. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here at Waypoint. And, and the last time I, I was up here, I got to preach on Genesis 3. And Genesis 3 is so foundational for what we see unfolding in the rest of Genesis. So before we, before we really hone in and, and focus on what's going on here in, in chapter 27 about Isaac and what's, what's unfolding with, with this blessing, I want us to first look back at the curses the Lord deals out in Genesis 3. As, is what I think will be a helpful background for us this morning. Genesis 3.15 says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. 
He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And what follows after this is, is the brutal reality of pain and anxiety that accompany the preservation of, of this promised seed that we're talking about. Now, what we'd like to focus on from this, this verse in, in uh, verse 15 is, is the promise of blessing and redemption in the midst of, of curse. Blessing meaning the, the assurance of God's promises and faithfulness. Curse meaning the, the exclusion from this promise, the removal from this promise. But what we did not consider is that the serpent has offspring. I didn't get to cover that part. And, and maybe, maybe this is opening up a can of worms for us. Uh, I, I hope not, but, but it, it, it begs the question, what's up with that, right? So let me clarify. The seed of the serpent is not, is not some mini serpents. It's not some, some demons. The seed of the serpent is, is any person who chooses to follow the serpent's ways into rebellion and unbelief, to reject God himself. That is the seed of the serpent. Scholar Bruce Walkie puts it this way. He says that the people of Genesis will either be of the seed of the woman that reproduces her spiritual propensity or of the seed of the serpent that reproduces his unbelief. The unspoken question to the reader is, whose seed are you? Now we're going to see this question play out again and again in Genesis. We already, we already have seen this kind of unfold. And, and in fact, it's going to come into play as we consider Isaac here and his sons. Are you tracking with me? So last week, Pastor Lawrence ended with, with Abraham trusting the Lord's provision on the mountain. The Lord is faithful in securing the promises he has made to Abraham. And Abraham trusts the Lord. Now Isaac is an old blind man with some progeny problems. So what happened? How did we get to this point? Well, we, we skipped some chapters. That's how we got to this point. But, but as, a, as, a recap, as a recap for us, after the death of Sarah, Abraham makes an oath with his servant to find his son Isaac, a wife from his people. By divine appointment, Abraham's servant meets Rebekah, who leaves her family and home behind to marry Isaac. And what follows are stories that seem to mirror the accounts of Abraham and Sarah. Rebekah experiences 20 years of barrenness before she births Esau and Jacob. And Isaac's devotion seems to be highlighted in Genesis 25 by the fact that he prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless, and the Lord answered his prayer. But then, then we learn this interesting detail. The babies jostled each other within her. And so we pause here to ask, is this, just, is this just normal pregnancy talk? I mean, she's having twins. I don't know. The babies wrestle with each other in, in the womb. I don't, I don't know. Is this foreshadowing that, that they won't be friends? It's kind of sad. It'd be sad. Is it another case of Cain and Abel? That would be devastating. Rebecca doesn't know. So she takes this matter to the Lord and he provides her with clarity. He says, two nations are in your womb and the pe two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. But what does that mean? That was helpful for Rebecca. Is that helpful for us? What, what does that mean? As we talked about last week, the, the birth order determines the one who receives the estate. 
And in this case, the firstborn is also the one to whom Isaac will bestow the covenant blessing. He will be the spiritual head of the family, the one to carry forward the family tradition and impart direction in the way the family will go. From a theological standpoint, this means bearing God's promises into the next generation. And God is choosing the younger. He's doing something unique. What, what is so incredible here is that God is pointing us to hope by looking at the barren and weak places of the world. Isn't it a divine mercy to us that God shows so clearly that what we should desire is not according to our standards, but His? That the things we esteem in sin, the Lord reproves in love. That according to our eyes, we look for blessing in places of strength and honor and prestige. But in the eyes of the Lord, the blessing will be made known through one who is despised and rejected by man. This is a divine mercy to us because it's a reversal of Genesis 3. Rather than taking according to what we deem as good, we must learn to yield to what the Lord has shown us according to His purposes. Now what makes this even more interesting is that with Genesis 3 in view, we learn in the following section that the older son Esau becomes a skillful hunter who loves the open country and wild game, while the younger son Jacob enjoys the more domesticated life, taking care of the, the, the flock. Now this could just be some, some backstory about Isaac's sons. It, it, could, it could be that. But as we've said before, the biblical authors are intentional in the details. Esau is a skillful hunter. There's only one other person in the rest of the Bible with this detail included about them. Do you know who it is? Anyone? Nimrod. Nimrod. And what does Nimrod mean? In, in the Hebrew, his name means to rebel. Nimrod is the one who built the kingdom of Babel, that wicked city where the people tried to make a name for themselves apart from God. This is an interesting association to be given to Esau, right? Now, by all accounts, up to this point, we, we have every reason to believe that Isaac is following suit with the plans of God. He has a miraculous birth. He's been educated through the incredible witness of God's providence and faithfulness through, the, through his father Abraham. He was a benefactor of God's providence and provision through his wife Rebekah and through his sons. And he's received the blessing of God, which has eternal significance. That's a nice resume, isn't it? But did I mention the, the fracturing of his family that started back with the birth of his sons? Genesis 25, 28 says, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, I've, I've never read a single parenting book that told me not to have a favorite child, nor have I read a single Christian book that told me to ignore the counsel of God. These things are so obvious that, that one does not need to save them. Yet here we are. Isaac with a favorite son, ignoring the word of God. And what lies ahead from outward appearances is rivalry and disarray due to family dysfunction and deceit. But what we find at the center of all of this mess is the providential hand of God carrying forward his promise of rescue that will flow from one family to all nations. God is drawing our attention to the barren and lifeless, to the dysfunctional and disjointed, to the broken and to the weak. And he's saying, this, this is where you'll find my promise fulfilled. 
God is saying, look, I want you to see that what I am doing is humanly impossible. So when we look to Isaac, we shouldn't hold our breath, but we should trust that God will use the weakness of Isaac to flex the strength of his promised blessing. So what I want us to see and and learn from Isaac's life this morning is, is threefold. And the first is this. Reverence for the Lord's blessing matters. Reverence for the Lord's blessing matters. Isaac is is being led by sensuality, but even in his wrong motives, he knows the importance of the Lord's blessing. This fact isn't lost on him. He, He knows the importance of perpetuating the divine promise through the family head. The problem before us is that Isaac is letting his cravings for wild game sway his choice on who will lead the family. Esau is not fit to be the spiritual leader. And you can be sure that God will not allow a man who views the promises of God with contempt to jeopardize his plans in showing the depths of his gracious love. He will not let any human agent prevent that. Do you hear that? God wants to show you his love. He wants to. He will. The events that happen in Genesis Genesis 27 are sandwiched between these two passages providing details about Esau's wives. In both cases, it shows a clear disdain by Isaac and Rebekah for the son receiving the blessing to marry a Canaanite. In fact, Esau impulsively tries to rectify this. Erica didn't read this part, but the the next section in in uh, chapter 28 says um, he, he tries to rectify this by taking a wife from the offspring of Ishmael which is so laughably bad, if for no other reason than how ironically it shows how little he knows about the working of his family, the working of God in his family. You see, Esau wants the benefits of the blessing without devoting his life to all of its applications. Yet even still, even still, something isn't clicking for Isaac. He's not thinking about this right. Genesis 27 is bringing into focus Isaac's sensory experiences, and there are two distinct experiences that come to the forefront for us. I believe these experiences highlight for us the point that the one who receives God's blessing should have a reverence for what the Lord is promising. The Lord desires to bless this family, to be a blessing to the nations. They must be willing to wrestle with God and hold fast to his promises. And so the first experience present in Isaac's heart is in his heart. The first experience present is in Isaac is in his heart. Genesis 26:35 says that Esau's Hittite wives were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Put another way, they were they were a root of bitterness in Isaac and Rebekah's hearts. But why would Esau's wives be such a sore spot for them? The similarities between the Abraham-Sarah stories and the Isaac-Rebekah stories make this particular detail jump out because of its brevity. If you have the chance, not right now, go back and read through Genesis 24. You have this long account, this repetitive account of how Abraham sends his servant to, to find Isaac a wife. And the account records in great detail how the Lord directed Abraham's servant to Rebekah and then called her in similar fashion to Abraham to leave her family and land and to go to Canaan to to marry Isaac. And the reason why Abraham does this is because the land he is sojourning in is filled with immoral and wicked people who he suspects would have great influence on his family. 
we're seeing this play out with, with Isaac and Rebekah, a root of bitterness. Abraham wanted to protect his family from this kind of moral ambiguity if, the, if it be God's will to provide. But here at the end of Genesis 26, Isaac is tasting the bitter fruit of, of ignoring this practice. It's an interesting detail that, that Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah. I know that sounds random and insignificant, but it becomes even more interesting that Esau was 40 years old when he married his Canaanite wives. And it seems especially important when contrasted with Genesis 24. You have this long chapter and this blessing, this, this, this benefit to their family, and then you have these two verses, and it leads to, to bitterness. Isaac, in this instance, appears unengaged. Why didn't he adopt the same practice that his father put in place? Whatever the reason, the result is bitterness. It's a source of bitterness that would have long-lasting effects. So we have this bitterness in their hearts. The second experience present for Isaac is in his belly. And this is concerning because of its spiritual implications. Isaac was physically blind. We see that at the beginning of chapter 27. But he also appears spiritually blind in this moment, not looking to the divine choosing of God. There seems to be a neglect of spiritual discernment. As we stated back in, in Genesis 25, Isaac favored Esau because of his taste for wild game. I think that's a theological statement. There's overlap between his interests and Esau's. And the, these interests appear to be what motivates him. Meaning Isaac chooses to be led by his mouth rather than his heart, even though there's overwhelming reason against it. So let's consider for, for a moment just how out of proportion this is. We, we've already mentioned his wives. We've already mentioned Esau's wives here. But in addition to that, by choosing Esau, Isaac is disregarding the Lord's choice to bless Jacob and attempting to choose the seed of the serpent. Now keep in mind that the Lord is using a family to fulfill all of his promises. This family is bringing us to Jesus, and the Lord desires to choose one who will lead the family in yielding to the Lord's leading. That's the kind of person we want as the head of this family. Ultimately, Jesus is the one we want to be head of this family. We're going there. But Esau, Esau cares nothing about this. We must also remember when Esau and Jacob were in the womb, they jostled with each other. Rebecca has this why me moment and seeks the Lord for counsel, which by the way is a great practice for any of us to apply. Do you allow God to weigh in on your life? You should. In this, the Lord reveals to Rebecca that the older son will serve the younger, meaning the younger Jacob would be the one to receive the covenant blessing. And this would benefit everyone. This would be better for the family. This would be better for the nations. Isaac would have known that. Second, by choosing Esau, Isaac is ignoring family history. He's ignoring family history. The, the whole account of Esau trading away his birthright for a bowl of red stew. This, this is a telltale sign of his disposition toward the birthright. Esau even has the gall to ask in his impulsivity, what good is the birthright to me? He thinks he's, he's dying from starvation. He asks, what good is the birthright to me? It's very possible that Isaac would have known about the oath shared between brothers here. 
And Esau's actions are indicative of his lack of faith. Hebrews 11 gives us clarity by its contrasting commendation of, of those who live by faith in, in this Hall of Faith chapter, when it says, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Esau is saying, What good is something I can't have in this life now? What good is my birthright when the promises I won't receive now? Do you see that? Do you see his lack of faith? The word of God alone should have made this clear enough for Isaac. But the lack of fight over his birthright and the marrying of Hittite wives should have made this self-evident. Esau despised his birthright. There's no reverence to it whatsoever. He, he devalued it and held it with contempt. In fact, when we, when we later read about Esau crying in anger over not receiving his father's blessing and accusing his brother for being a deceiver, if we're honest, part of us, as, as, we're, as we're reading that, we, as we're hearing that, we feel ambivalence. An injustice seems to have taken place. But when we get the fuller picture of what's going on here, Esau, who's acting like the seed of the serpent by rebelling against the promises of God, what we really learn is that Esau wants the reward without treasuring the path it requires. He wants to receive the benefits of a faithful life without seeking faithfulness. He wants the benefits of a relationship with God, but he doesn't want God. And we should be wary of Esau because he's a cautionary tale for us all. Many want success without work, don't we? Many want heaven without devotion to the Lord. Many want maturity without the sacrifices and growing pains that accompany it. Give me the fast track. Give me the shortcut. Of course Esau's response isn't repentance. He's not shocked by the reality of his sin. His heart isn't softened by this rebuke of God. Instead, he resorts to the age-old practice of blame-shifting. It's a whole lot of Jacob's fault and none of his. Esau says in verse 36, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? And in verse 41, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. His whole life, Esau has degraded the promises of God. And in this moment, he holds Jacob entirely responsible. But even from the mother's womb, the Lord knows the human heart. Number two, Repentance is a divine mercy. Repentance is a divine mercy. All the information was already there before Isaac. He knew everything he needed to know to realize he was making the wrong decision. Esau didn't just stumble into contempt. He lived a life that held the promises of God in contempt. So what changed for Isaac? What changed? I think the answer is the generous mercy of God working providentially through the deception of Rebekah and Jacob. This is not what we would expect. Now this clearly doesn't mean the Lord condones the immoral actions of sinful people. Quite the contrary. Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau will feel the consequences of their actions for the rest of their lives. And there will be lasting effects beyond their days. God doesn't author, author sinful behavior but he can work through it to bring about his plans for our good. 
What Isaac was doing in secret to bless Esau would have been a disaster for his family. In biblical terms, hearing and seeing are associated with knowing and receiving the truths of God. Hearing and seeing are associated with knowing the truths of God. But consider how Isaac tries to determine if his son Jacob is really Esau. At first, he's, he's confused, he, he, and he, he asks a legitimate question. He says, how did you find the wild game so quickly? From listening to his voice, it, it sounds like Jacob. It's hard to disguise that. So Isaac asks for, for Jacob to come near so he can feel his hands. Can, can you imagine wearing goat skins on, on your hands and on your neck to, to fool your father? Again, he's, Isaac is confused. The, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Esau must have been really hairy. Still unsure, Isaac asked to eat the wild game that, that Jacob had caught. And it's the, the smell of the field on the clothes of Esau that sealed the deal for Isaac. Surely this is my son Esau. So he blesses him. You see, even though he acts with his hands and nose rather than his eyes and ears, the Lord uses these means to lead Isaac in the way he should go. When Esau returns and Isaac realizes what has just happened, he, he is in utter shock. I mean, that, that might be an understatement. Verse 33 says, Isaac trembled violently at the news that he had not blessed Esau. Why? Surely he remembers the words God gave to Rebekah. Surely he is seeing this as something that God has orchestrated. Because repentance is a divine mercy. Isaac, at this moment, he thought he was at the end of his days. He didn't know he would live another 40 years after this. But the point is that the time of repentance is now, and anyone can get in on this. We do that by humbling ourselves and turning to Jesus in faith. You see, Isaac needed an awakening. Praise the Lord that he got one. Now, it's at this point, it's, it's at this point that, that we want to turn and look at Isaac and, and, and cast our judgment on him. It's, it's very possible for some of us to look at Isaac at this moment and wonder, why would God use him? I could do it better. I mean, come on, really? Who is this guy? And maybe what we're struggling with is the weakness of his humanity. But I think it begs the question, how good do you have to be to stumble upon the unmerited favor of God? How good do you have to be to stumble upon the unmerited favor of God? Hopefully that's rhetorical for you. When I was new to my faith, I, I remember someone trying to teach me the concepts of, of grace and mercy in simple terms. They would say, mercy is not getting what you deserve, and grace is receiving what you don't deserve. Now, I, I, I found those ideas very, very hard to, to grasp. I, I, I couldn't wrap my mind around this. I mean, they, they were unappealing to me. I've been living in a meritocracy all of my life, I thought. And I do really well in it. I like that system. I want what I deserve. I want what I deserve. But only God's grace can overcome human sin. And when we come to the end of ourselves, as all of us will at some point or another, 
we must face the music. We must realize our plans, however good they may seem, are only as good as our trust in God is deep and our hope in God is wide. How do we deal with the shocking reality of our sin? By receiving grace through faith. We don't need God to come around and learn to accept us for who we really are. No, he's aware. We're the ones who need coming around. But coming to the end of ourselves doesn't end in hopelessness when encountering the God of the Bible. When encountering the God of the Bible, we get glimpses of the promises of God. And we start to get up close and personal with the God behind those promises which leads only to more grace abounding in steadfast love and kindness. Remember, God desires to show you his love. He wants to. The beauty of repentance is that God's plans to bless us remain on the table. God's plans to, to bless us remain on the table. They're never as out of reach as we think. In his kindness, the Lord desires to bless you. Will you relent? Will you let him? Number three, righteousness belongs to the Lord. Righteousness belongs to the Lord. He's the one who judges us faithful. We are declared righteous based on the faithfulness of our family head, who is Jesus. How do we know that, that Isaac was really repentant? How do we know that he acted in faith? From the, from the looks of it, we, we, we're unsure, right? The simple answer is the Bible tells us Hebrews 11:20 says, "By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future." Pretty clear. Isaac acted in faith. As, as we trudge along in Genesis, it should no longer come as any surprise to us that the Lord chooses to use imperfect people to impart His divine favor, and that in so doing, He will bless us all. As Bruce Walkie points out, Isaac's motives are suspect and his intentions certainly misdirected. But he speaks the blessing to Jacob, whom he believes to be Esau, with full faith in God's blessings and provisions. Most of us can recognize ourselves in Isaac, for honest. We often minister with impure motives and misdirected intentions. But we exercise faith, and God still accomplishes his good work, often reproving us in the process. After Isaac realizes that he's blessed, Jacob and not Esau. He, he doesn't revoke or diminish the blessing. He upholds it. He says of Jacob in, in verse 33, I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. And when Esau cries out for a blessing, Isaac offers him an, an anti-blessing. He essentially says, Isaac, he, Isaac essentially says, you, you will get to do what you've always done. You will be free to live the untamed life, seeking to struggle by the field. The responsibility of spiritual headship will not be on for you to bear. The opposition from the seed of the serpent will give way to the offspring of the woman. And this is very good news. Then we see Isaac confirm his blessing again to Jacob, this time knowing it's Jacob. In Genesis 28, Isaac tells Jacob not to marry a Canaanite woman. And in verse 3, he blesses him by saying, May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham, 
so that you may take possession of the land where you now live as an alien, the land God gave to Abraham. So as I close, I want us to consider one one last question. What does it mean for us to be blessed by this blessing? How, How do we get in on this? The blessed life, according to the Bible, is meant to be understood in light of the fulfillment of this promise God has made to the family of Abraham. The blessing God is talking about comes through what we receive in and through Jesus. Jesus is the true seed of the woman, our first and our last hope for bringing the restoration of blessing from God to all people. Jesus is the one who, through his headship, draws us into God's family. It's it's by him that we're included. God declares us faithful according to Jesus' faithfulness. When the Apostle Peter draws a crowd of of Jews in in Acts 3, this is after Pentecost, after after Jesus' resurrection, he he is appearing to people. In Acts 3, he says, Peter says, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So God's blessing comes only to those who turn from their wickedness in faith. Repentance is a divine mercy. And Psalm 31, 1-2 says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. And Romans 8, 1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the blessed life. We respond to our sin with the renewal of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We accept his salvation on our behalf by faith, trusting that God who desires to lavish us with his kindness will hold us until the end, declaring us faithful because because of Jesus' faithfulness. And we expand this blessing in partnership with Jesus any time we invite others in to receive this good news and to share in all its benefits. To be judged faithful by the faithful one. Amen. Will you pray with me?